Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Hey, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I chose two books of the Bible that are the hardest to open your Bible to. Um, the, like the first few chapters of Genesis and the last few chapters of Hebrews, your Bible just doesn't want to stay open. Um, and so, but go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to hang out there uh, for a moment. And then this Wednesday night, all in team night, first team night in this building. Um, and by the way, if you don't know, if you're new to us, this building is a, first of all, it's new. This is only our fifth, fifth Sunday. Yeah, we're into a second month. So it's fifth Sunday in a new space. This is not, this is not going to be um, the permanent setup of this building. This right here will eventually be a gallery with art on the walls all the time. In fact, we've got four or five artists that are beginning to put together artwork for this space that's all centered on the city of Fort Worth. What I don't want you to do when you walk into this building is forget that city. Amen? I want you to see this city and realize Jesus exists in it and be the person who takes Jesus into it. And so um, we're going to do a gallery night, uh, in the, in hopefully as, as we kind of move closer to opening up our worship space, which still needs an air conditioner, needs some approval from the city to do so. And so this right now is eventually going to be the gallery, which, yes, you can think of it as a lobby, just don't say it's a lobby because it's, it's a gallery. And, uh, and we're going to we, we'll upgrade some doors and do some different things. It's about over the next five years, it's about a $3.5 million project. Um, that we're going to raise the money for, and we're going to, because what happened is we had someone front the money for us, buy the building for us, who loves us, so we got a good landlord, and wants us to be successful, uh, so they've allowed us to do some things in this space. We didn't, like, save up $3 million and then buy a building. Um, we got into some wise counsel with some very, very wise people, also seem to be full of faith people, and uh, we've done this in such a way that allows us to really, really do what all, all God has called us to do. Amen? And what's going to be really cool is when we become the model for them to do it again. You know what I mean? Um, where a, a bunch of churches that have a heart like ours have people showing up and going, we'll do this, you do that, and we'll make this thing happen. That sounds like kingdom to me. And so over the next couple weeks, on October 2nd, we'll have a Vision Sunday, which I would hope for you to mark that date. I already know the Burkholters are out of town. I, already, I remember that from C3 College course, October 2nd. It's not the grand opening. It's not the grand opening, but it'll be Vision Sunday where we'll lay out kind of how this all looks, what our commitment will be as a church, but what that commitment will be towards, what the vision is for, what is it going to do. And you can look up what is going to happen around us. So at the same time we're stepping into that place, the Rosedale Evans project is going to begin to happen. All kinds of crazy things are going to begin to happen around us. It's going to be pretty special, something that we are, man, unique time and place for us to be here and I want you to understand this. When we say look up, it means I believe God can do far more than we ask or imagine. So when I say $3.5 million, I used to think that scared me. Now I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I got a buddy in San Jose that just spent $34 million. So I'm cool. I'm good. And he got like 6,000 square feet more than me. So I'm like, ha <laughs> ha. Um, but hear me, I want you and I as a church to raise our level of vision. And I want it to go beyond some financial number. Because what God wants to do here is far greater than any dollar or any cent. And I believe we are up for it. And I believe what God has put in us is for this moment in time. And I believe God is big enough to do it. Amen? So we'll lay that out over the next several weeks. I want you to be praying already. 
about what it might look like for you to jump into some of that. I'll give more specifics as we go. All right, Hebrews 11. I do want to get into this. I did all the announcements. Talisha doesn't have to do as much now at the end. Um, I, I keep doing that, but I, I feel like it's important. Okay, okay. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read it to you, starting in verse 1. Just going to hit a few verses here, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen for by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. I want you to skip down to verse 8. Skip down to verse 8, Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Some verses you just wish weren't in the Bible. How many of you guys last week, fear versus faith? You guys like that one? That was, man, that hit me right between the eyes. I don't know how many people said that I needed that. How many of you know fear is always present? That's why God always is. Fear will always have something to say to you. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Fear will always have something to say, always have some smart remark, always have some, like, little thing to slide in there just to make you second guess what you're doing. But we don't live there. Amen? If you have any thought about fear versus faith, I would love for you to go back and watch last week. But so much of our fear is based on our uncertainty. But maybe, just maybe, God has an answer for that. Verse 9, by faith he stayed. Everybody say he stayed. By faith he stayed as a foreigner. In the land of promise. Such, that is such a paradoxical statement. He lived as a stranger in the land he was promised, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward. Everybody say looking forward. We're not changing the name of the series, but let's just add that in as, a, as a 1A, 1B. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you feel a little bit unsettled, where you feel a little bit like you don't know what's going to happen. Like maybe you don't really fit into the place you're currently residing. Anyone ever felt like a stranger in a foreign land? Right? And it might have been work on Tuesday. Heck, it might have been family dinner on Thursday. And you're looking around going, I don't know what I've created. You might sometimes feel like, a stranger in a foreign land. You don't know. There's something on the inside of you that just doesn't seem to fit the place you currently reside. Abram was one of the first people we see in the Bible, in fact, that never set up a permanent dwelling. We don't know whether or not he ever built a permanent house with brick and mortar. What we know is that he lived in tents in the, in the land he was promised. And he seemed to always do that. He even says that his sons did the same. That there was something to them that they, they had something temporary always reminding them that, that they weren't yet planted. But maybe, maybe, and I want to talk to you about this today, maybe that's kind of how you and I are to live. Always feeling a little bit like I don't quite belong here. I remember I turned 40 in January of 2020. So 40s a year, and, and, and some of you have already been through this season. Some of you, I, 2021, I turned 40 in 2021. Are you sure? 
No, because I'm 41 now. Yeah, okay, so. No, let's go with 2020. So, no. I'm 42. No, you're right. Okay, so, oh, that only adds, okay, that only adds to this. That only adds to this. That only makes it better. That only makes it better. So here's the deal. Y'all get up here and talk for 40 minutes. Okay, every week. So here's the deal. <laughs> All right. I remember when I do, I do remember when I turned 40, but it feels like so long ago. Um, almost like it was 2020. And I remember turning 40, and, and there had been a few things that had been happening in our country. And 40 is kind of one of those ages that you naturally, you never see it coming. Everyone I've talked to, when they turned 40, you didn't see it coming. Some of you are like at 39, I'm telling you it's coming. And I turned 40, and all of a sudden it was like, I want to buy a Porsche. No, that didn't happen. But, I, but what absolutely happened was I began to take inventory of my life in a very, very different way. I began to look at my life and think, wait, what have I done? What have I not done? Where did I try to go somewhere? Where did I not get somewhere? Where did I fail? Where did I succeed? And what have I left to my children? That was the biggest question. What have I done for my wife and kids? At 40 years old, I know I got plenty of years ahead of me. I promise. I understand that. Okay? I still might want to buy a Porsche. I saw one that I had the other day. I was like, I want to do that. But the reality is, is that you begin to take inventory in a very different way. Now, I'm a little bit removed from when COVID had happened when I turned 40, when what happened to George Floyd happened, when on top of that, 12 days before that, there's a little kerfuffle at the Capitol. Right? There was a lot of things happening, and then I turned 40. Like, come on. It was already going to be a weird year. And now even more than that, I've had all these things, as, not just as a dude, but as a pastor, that I'm processing all these things through. I mean, I promise you, there were times in my, in my first year of being 40, in my first year of 40s, that I began to question who I was, why I was where I was, do I fit here, do I want to keep doing what I'm doing, do I really want to keep pressing forward? Do I really actually fit the bill for what this time and this place needs? It was quite a year for me. I remember going to Montana. I, I, uh, I got invited on this little trip uh, specifically for pastors. And so we went, and I'd never been to Montana. It was supposed to be for fly fishing. I fly fished for like two hours the whole week. It just, it's just not my thing. It's just not my thing. And, uh, and fish definitely don't think it's because I never catch anything. And I remember we, uh, I, right before I left, right before I left, I remember hearing some quote that just said, don't let the old man in. And, uh, and so I said, okay, that's a good, I'm going to live by that. And so I did some stupid things that week. I, I jumped off a cliff. Um, it was way too high. It's one of those where you, you look from, when you're looking up at it, it's just not that big a deal. When you're looking down from it, you're like, this was stupid. And there's no way to climb down. Like, you jump in. That's all you do. And then I just had to say, don't let the old man in. But I don't know about you. That, I, that was a year for me where I just didn't feel quite stable. I didn't feel like I knew where I was supposed to go, what I was supposed to do, how I was supposed to pastor people through some very difficult things. Especially when, man, everybody decided they knew exactly what should be said, when it should be said, how it should be said, and where it should be said. 
And they were prescribing that to me every day. None of you did it in like a rude way, and I appreciate that. But I saw your post. I know what you wanted me to say. And there was this real weird time in my life, honestly, I've never felt this way for a good six to eight months, and Meredith will tell you this, where I just couldn't ever get my bearings. I just could not figure out where I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to do. I didn't feel like I fit in the world. And not in some depressed, uh, anxious, ridden way. I just was really trying to figure out what this was going to look like. And I don't know about you. Maybe you felt the same way. Maybe you had some things over the last couple years that made you feel the same way. Where you feel like, man, I don't know if I belong here. And let's be really honest. Let's be really clear. We should have all felt that at least a little bit over the last few years. And here's why. Because we thought what we knew... What we had firmly established was never going to go away, was going to be forever. What we thought we had understood, very quickly, very quickly, became something that was unstable, became something that we could not hold on to. The things that seemed like they'd go on for forever ended abruptly. The things that we thought we understood became very confusing. And the things we thought we could always depend on let us down. Even now, as we look into our future and you look at different markets and you look at different financials and you look at all the different things, the, the amount of things being said we don't know what we're in for, man, just adds to the mindset. And all of us at some level and in some way should have at some point felt like this doesn't seem like I can depend on it. What we thought was forever became fleeting very quickly. And in some ways, that's not a bad thing. In some ways, that can bring about some really interesting things. Rabbi Sachs in, uh, in England, kind of an intellectual, um, I don't know if you would call him a rabbi full, full on, but Rabbi Lord Sachs, who's, who's actually, I believe, has passed away, he said this, we have been coasting along for more than half a century. He's primarily talking about the Western world have been coasting along for more than half a century. We are facing the fragility and vulnerability of the human situation. I know I'm going to get her name wrong, but Arendati Roy, Indian author, wrote the book, The Pandemic is a Portal, said this, and I agree with her, but probably from a different vantage point than she wrote it, said, historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. As I began to think about a temporary thing or a nomadic thing or, or, or a, 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 a thing that seems to always be fleeting, I began to think about some of the van life, um, tiny home movement. How many of you guys every once in a while, how many of you guys follow at least one van life Instagram? Anybody? We got a few in here. And every once in a while you see it and you're like, I could do that. And then you really consider it and you're like, that's not for me. It's not, it's not for me. The two originators, believe it or not, the two originators of van life, tiny home, lifestyle, um, those, the, they happened out of a catastrophe. In both, they started blogs and they started writing about what they were doing. They both happened that way or ended up there because things went wrong in their life. They did not set out to be the originators of some tiny home lifestyle or van. It started because things went wrong, and in the going wrong, things became clear. 
And in the com- becoming clear, they realize what I don't need and what I do need and what I need to strip away and what I need to hold on to. And they began to do these kind of tiny home lifestyle blogs, and all of a sudden it caught on. One of the founders of this mentions and talks about what the last couple years have been like. Anytime the economy is down, he says, alternative living options go up. And when things are unstable, people are looking for a more stable way to live. How many of you remember the questions of, I wonder what it's going to be like after COVID? Right? At workplaces. In fact, I heard that this Labor Day, there's a lot of companies going, okay, okay, it's time to come back now. They're going to begin to put, I've seen major, major companies, Fortune 500 companies are saying, okay, Labor Day, all right, take your rest, but now it's time to come back into the office and be in a building and us do the work together. We'll see how that goes. But how many of you guys remember those questions? What's going to happen after this? How is it going to look? How is it going to go? And I understand in Texas, maybe we didn't feel it the same way other people felt it, but, but the questions still brought up, were brought up in different conversations. The Gallup recently reported that 45% of full-time U.S. employees are working from home all or part of the time. How many of you are working from home all or at least part of the time right now? How many of you guys are doing that? How many of you would have ever thought that would be a normal thing for you? That would have never been a thing until it became a thing. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, I love working at home, until we realize we're by ourselves all day long, and then we leave our office <laughs> to go to our dinner table. That's five feet from our office. That's down from 83%. Sorry, employees are working from home or part-time. Down from 83% in April. Things are beginning to trend back, but there are things that came at us so quickly, that got us so disoriented, that changed us up so much, that so quickly made us shift and change in ways we never expected. Another article talking about this kind of travel for your life um, kind of model that's going around. Just, just go travel everywhere. Do that. Millennials are looking for that kind of thing. And honestly, I love traveling. I'd be so down for that if there wasn't always flying. But I do love travel. I, I love going to new places. I love being in different environments. But one article said this, many millennials are building lifestyles around location independence. We're becoming nomadic. They're looking for location independence. I ask you this question. What if our faith was locationally independent? What if our faith was able to move with whatever moved us? What if our faith was able to withstand the living in different ways, in different seasons, at different times, and in different things that we can't control, that we can't, we can't pull the levers on, that we can't always be the ones to make a decision about this or how that's going to happen. What if our faith was not dependent upon the season or time of our life, but it was actually independent of those things, so that no matter what came our way, we could still be people of faith? What if, like Abram, we could still post up our tent And have faith for the stars. What if we could be people who living in a land of promise could still be people of faith even as sojourners or nomads or strangers? That's what Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says, isn't it? By faith, Abram, when he was called, stayed, obeyed, and set out for a place he did not know. He went out even though he didn't understand it. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob. Why? Because he had looked ahead 
the city that has foundations who architect was and the builder was God. One commentary explains who is Paul writing to, who is the writer of Hebrews writing to when he says these things about faith, when he's stirring up faith, because clearly the writer of Hebrews has an agenda here. He is trying to do something to get you thinking again the way those who had carried the faith early on had thought. Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews to encourage Jewish members of the church to maintain their faith in Jesus Christ and to not return to their former ways. Under the pressure of various afflictions, many of these Jewish Christians were apparently withdrawing from the church and returning to the relative safety of Jewish worship at the synagogue. The writer of Hebrews is trying to reawaken our faith, reawaken the faith of a people who had started to push up against some challenges, some afflictions, some some some. Uh, uh, locations that were, were not conducive to faith. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to stir up the faith again and say, no, you got to keep going because this is what this person did and this is what this person did and this is how this person did it. I want you to keep going. And then he later on says what? Strip off every weight and every sin. Get rid of all those things that you can run this race and keep your eyes on Jesus, the one who is the author and perfecter of your faith. See, here's the real truth about being a follower of Christ, is when everything around us seems to fall away, we seem to stand firm. Or at least, that should be it. See, when we've gotten too comfortable, I read this quote earlier, when we've gotten too comfortable with the way in which our world works, that faith becomes an optional addition to it, then when those things go away, guess what? We're reaching for a faith we have yet to build. See, we are actually, believe it or not, people of permanent faith in temporary places. And here's, let me just say this to you. Until heaven is renewed on earth, let me just say this to you. That will always be the case. It will always be the case that we are people of permanent faith in temporary places. See, sometimes we look at temporary places and we let it make our faith temporary. We, we, we deal with temporary situations, and we immediately allow that to, to make our faith temporary faith. Roland Smith, in a book called Red Skies, which I would, man, I would recommend that. If you want to know what the future of the church looks like. Now, now they push a little far to the edge. I wouldn't go as far as they go, but I think we should at least go a little bit of where they went. And it's a collaboration of a bunch of different authors that I highly respect, and they talk about all the issues that you think need to be talked about. It's a book called Red Skies. I'll check next week to see if you bought it. Okay, Roland Smith says this, we usually only truly discover Jesus, the Prince of Peace, when our earthly idols are disrupted, when our reliance on them is painfully revealed. Peace follows chaos. See, the thing about a tiny home lifestyle or the van life or any of these other things is that you realize real quickly what you can take and what you can't. See, in a life of faith, in the journey of faith, what you find out at somewhere along the way is that you are just making it harder by continuing to carry that thing. There are things you're trying to bring on this journey that are actually weighing you down, slowing you down, and not allowing you to walk this thing out fully because you've added far too many things to the van. you got nowhere to sleep because you got too many clothes. And far too many of us are trying to live this journey of faith and we're adding all of these things that allow it to happen. And what God does in some of these moments when the earth is shaking is it allows us to strip away the things that are never meant to be in the van to begin with. 
Now, I'm not trying to tell you that you should live in a tiny home of faith. I'm just trying to simply tell you that there should be moments in our life, especially like the last couple years, where we realize what matters most. And we don't let go of it. One commentary says this, so all God's, uh, yes, I'm giving you a book report today, just on a lot of different books. So all God's people are sojourners in the world, strangers and pilgrims in it. This is not their dwelling place. They do not belong to it, but to another. Their stay in it is but for a while. And while they are in it, do not look upon themselves at home, but are looking out for another and better country. They are unknown to the men of the world, and the men of the world are strangers to them. It's important for us to understand that we might actually never truly, as people of faith, fit in. That doesn't mean we don't add value. It doesn't mean we don't make things better. It doesn't mean we don't contribute to the world. It doesn't mean that we don't come up with creative solutions to difficult problems. It simply means that if we are locationally dependent in our faith, then we will react to everything the same way the world does. But if we can take on this moniker, we can go, yeah, I am a stranger. I am a sojourner. I am on a journey of faith. Then when stuff hits the fan, we don't lose our stuff. That was not in my notes. That was just, that was a... Ephesians 2, 19 through 21 says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. It's so interesting. He doesn't say anything about the beach you bought a house on. It doesn't say anything about the car you drive. It says nothing about the state that you put on your address. It says none of those things. It simply says you are no longer strangers in the land where Jesus is king. See, what, <laughs> what if? When you decide to follow Jesus, you now belong to a family who understands they don't belong. What if when you decide to step into this family of faith, you now are part of a family who understands that in this current temporary place, this is not what's going to last. And so I don't live my life according to that which will pass away. I live my life according to the one who will not ever fail. That is where I now live. Hebrews 12, just after we've read Hebrews 11, says his voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. And while we might move, we shall not be moved. While their things may shake around us, we will not be shaken. Because that which remains in us when all else fails, when all other things fleet, are fleeting, when all other things move away from us, we have something that stands the test of time. I'm going to read this quote again. I read it in worship, and maybe you were so into it that you didn't hear the quote, so I want to read it again to you. Many of the difficulties that Christians face as a are a result of forgetting where our true citizenship lies. And getting too attached to the comforts of this world. We should be like the patriarchs who lived like a stranger in a foreign country. 
all the while looking forward like Abraham to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, just in case you feel like this is bad news, that all I've been telling you is just get ready for the bumpy ride. It, just in case you think, like, this is just terrible, nothing's permanent, I can't even enjoy anything anymore, Pastor Brandon's ruined all the good things. It's not what I'm telling you. I believe creation is something to be enjoyed. I believe that's why it was created. What I'm telling you is that, um, that in the midst of all of those things, let us not grow so attached to them that when they fail, we fail too. That when they fall, God falls. That somehow our view of who Christ is, is shaken and moved by all the things that are happening around us. I mean, the truth is, <laughs> the person who has the advantage when the world no longer makes sense, are the people who already knew that. Like, you're at an advantage when you realize the world is not always going to do what it says it's going to do, that, that people are not always going to keep their word, that sometimes people are going to do things you don't agree with, that pain might actually happen. But at the end of the day, you already knew that. I love our righteous indignation for things that we already knew were going to fail. I love when we get so mad and want to condemn people, and we love to see people fail. I'm so sick and tired of watching us enjoy the failure of people. I don't care if they're a leader or not, if they're a pastor or not, or if they run. To, I don't enjoy when someone screws up. I don't enjoy when they are ruined. I don't enjoy, I don't think that's good. Do I think accountability matters? Yes. I'm simply saying there shouldn't be like a part of us in the background going, <laughs> I was sitting with someone um, this week, and I and this thought came to our, we were just talking about some things that were going on, and I remember thinking, like, sometimes all we want to do when we're meant to be expanding heaven, and heaven is what? Freedom, forgiveness, right? All we want to do is take the hell we've experienced and give it to somebody else. And so we, instead of adding heaven to the earth, we've just made hell bigger. We've made the, the, and I'm not, when you and I understand that, that this life of faith calls us out of a place of being comfortable with the way the world works, when you and I understand that, then we can actually make a difference and be of good service to the world. When we begin to realize that, now how did Jesus do it? Just in case we get confused here, Jesus did it by getting on a cross. Jesus did it by going to people no one else would go to. Jesus did it by lifting up people no one else would lift up. Jesus did it for, for helping people that everybody else said, well, they should have helped themselves. No, that's not how I do this. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. I'm going to lay down my life for another, even when I disagree with them, even when I think they've gotten themselves into their mess. Jesus did not have to show up here. Jesus showed up because he loved. Period. So you and I, we're people of faith. And when the world doesn't make sense, we actually, actually should be at an advantage. And in a way, should be able to add to what's, what's needed. Because we already knew it wasn't going to last. We already knew things weren't going to go perfectly. We already understood that not all things 
in this earth, in the way these systems work, in the way we've set up, that all things were not just going to go on for infinity. In fact, you know what's ruined every single empire that has ever existed in the history of the world? They thought it would last forever. What's ruined every single empire is we are the end of history. We have figured it out. No one will ever do it better than us. That was the beginning of the end. For every single kingdom that has ever reigned on this earth is because what happens when you think that? You do whatever you want because you figured it out. And then when the ground begins to shake and you've got nothing to hold on to, it all falls apart. Alan Hirsch says this in Red Skies, and I'm going to close with a couple tips on how we live as nomads. How do we live as people when this isn't our forever home, when this isn't the way it's always going to be? And thank God for that. Alan Hirsch says this in Red Skies, I have little doubt that we are indeed in an era that can be labeled apocalyptic. Apocalyptic in the biblical sense simply means revelation, an unveiling of things previously veiled, an exposing of the way of life that we previously understood as normal, but is now shown to be fragile, defunct, even blatantly unfaithful in light of that revelation. One doesn't have to look far to sense apocalypse. But, he goes on to say, apocalypse is not all chaos and evil. The adversary does not have the last word. In and beyond all the apparent chaos of human history as it unfolds, the sovereign God is always at work. His purposes weaving their way throughout. The seeds of God's future are being sown in and through the church, which, as Newbegin and others have rightly pointed out, is the sign, the foretaste, and instrument of the kingdom. In a moment where the soil is cracking, let us be people who sow seeds of faith, hope, and love. Oh, let us not be a church that just keeps pointing at the cracks. Like that makes us some kind of like elevated, oh, I told you it's all going to fall apart. Come on. No, the kingdom is one that is always ready with seed. So that whenever the, whenever the ground cracks, we just go, boom, water it, put some sun on it, God will make it grow. Because we are a kingdom that starts with what? seed that grows into what? A tree where what happens? People can find rest. Welcome to Labor Day weekend. The impermanence of our dwelling is not a disadvantage to people of faith. It is the very thing that makes people of faith necessary and needed. It is why you as an entrepreneur, as a creative, as a business person or a mom or a dad or whatever it might be, that is why you are so necessary right now. Because things are cracking open. And what people do not need from you living two houses down is to point out all the cracks on Facebook. I'm not, man, I'm not saying let's not have some good discourse about what needs to improve. Please hear me. But I'm simply telling you that as people of faith, we should always be sowing seed that has fruit to produce. That is something where people can find rest, where there is hope and life in what we do. Where when we sow a seed of life, that people go, oh, I can rest in that. Man, they don't seem to be shifting and shaking like everybody else. 
They seem to be standing up in it. Why is the word so important? Because that's where faith is found. Sorry, I'm just never going to be able to get away from a faith that believes that this matters. But I also believe that Jesus is the word. He is the word, the life, and the truth. He is the one who, when I look upon him, my faith is increased. How do we do this? I'm going to give you a quick couple things. I'm not really good at one, two, threes, so I'll do my best. I would say this, number one, consistently take inventory of the things that are giving you satisfaction and security. Find a time, whether it's a day, a week, whatever. Take inventory. We talked about this last week. What does God tell Abram? That I am your shield and your reward. I am your security and your satisfaction. Where are you getting that? And again, I'm not telling you you can't enjoy college football. Not telling you you can't enjoy the Cowboys season. You might not enjoy it, but you can if you. I'm not telling you not to enjoy a great cup of coffee or a good time with friends. I'm not telling you any of those things. I'm telling you where is the truest, deepest sense of your satisfaction and security coming from? If you couldn't drink coffee for a month, if there was no foot college football season starting on Labor Day weekend, if there were none of some of these things, if you didn't have the money in the bank the way you thought you did, it, where are you getting your security and your satisfaction? Take inventory of that. Number two, withdraw. Not to retreat, but to return. For some of us, this idea of a Sabbath is foreign. For some of us, it's almost impossible because of our schedule and because of the things that are required of us. So find a time, a place. Find something that allows you to step away from all the things that you think make you who you are, give you security. Spend time enjoying God. Take a rest. Get away. It was given to you as a gift, is what Jesus says. So receive the gift of rest. Take a break. In fact, that might be one of the more counterformative things you could possibly do in a world that thinks you should always be doing something. Take a day away where you're not doing work, where you're not answering texts, where you're not returning emails, where you're not looking at your to-do list. Take a day. It might have to be at 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday. Schedule a time with your friends every Friday night so that they, you can't answer emails. And tell them, don't let me answer emails. Tell your boss, I love you, but I'm not doing it. And then prove that it's good for you by working amazing on Monday. Withdraw to return. And then the third one is just simply ask this question. Do I have to know everything? Do you have to know everything? Do you need to know the next six weeks, ten years for you to trust God? Do you need to know how everything is going to play out? Do you have to have it all mapped out? I'm not saying you should never know anything. I'm simply saying you don't always get to know everything. Can you settle there? Can you let your heart take root in the fact that regardless of what you know, you know God. And he is permanent. And he is faithful. And when all things are shaken, he is not. Psalm 119, 19 says this, I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated. Set your mind. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is with him. It's not here. It's with him. And when it's with him, you can do a lot more good here. I want to read this last quote, and then we're going to end. There's so many good things, guys. I'm telling you, 
I love this description of what it means to be a nomad. And this is where I want to close. It says, the religion of the nomads is very different from our understanding of religion. The whole of the nomad's life was his, was his religion. As his very existence was dependent upon rain, he understood that his life was in God's hands at all times. The nomad saw the power, justice, love, and mercy of God in all things and in all of his activities, such as eating, making shelter, working, etc., was seen as a service to God. The nomad lived in harmony with his surroundings and understand, understood as being one with God who created all things. I love this line. In short, life was one long prayer to God. What if you and I lived one long prayer to God and each step was another step of faith and each step was another step that opened up a new possibility and each step, each time we looked up, each time we looked forward at a, at, a, at a foundation that would never end, every time we did that, we just exposed ourselves and expanded our life to what we never knew existed. So sometimes when we grow comfortable with what is, we will never find ourselves journeying into what could be. That is not to live a dissatisfied life. It is simply to live satisfied in Christ and to go even when you don't know where you're going. And so I'm going to ask you this question. Can you be a person whose faith is settled in a place that seems very much unsettled? Because things are going to shake, things are going to move, and things are going to change. But God never does. And he will always, always be a firm foundation. And what good you can do in the world, what amazing things you can do in your neighborhood, if you live understanding that this world does not determine who you are, but that in Christ you are the seed of the kingdom on every street and in every heart in the city of Fort Worth and beyond. Amen? Why don't you stand with me tonight, or this morning, sorry. We're starting a night service. Yeah. By the way, we had an incredible night of prayer Wednesday night, driving around the historic south side with Fortress. It's so cool. Uh, Evans Plaza, which is just down, I mean, honestly, it's on Evans. You just go out this way, go down, you see the little plaza that the city's redone as a kind of a precursor to what's going to happen. And there's all kinds of history about the neighborhood, um, different black men and women who have been a, a force for good in the neighborhood. And I think it'd be awesome for you to go read that, check it out. You're going to meet some interesting people when you do, too. Come on, just open your hands to heaven, however you want to do that. God, I pray today, right now, that you would settle faith in an unsettled world. God, I pray those who are in unsettled circumstances are in circumstances or situations that seem to be always moving, always changing, never, ever settled. God, I thank you that I'm a sojourner. I am a foreigner. I am a nomad. And when everything else moves, I stand. When everything else shakes, I am able to live because my feet are firmly planted on the rock of Christ Jesus. So God, I pray even when things shake around me, I am unshaken. And I can see clearly 
and I can speak boldly, and I can serve sacrificially. So God, I pray you would settle some faith in the room this morning. Lord, all over this place, settle faith in an unsettled world. God, let heaven live in the hearts and minds of C3 Fort Worth. Lord, I pray let your kingdom come in every heart, in every mind, let your will be done. And God, as it is done in them, let it be done in the earth they walk upon. Let it be done on the streets they inhabit. Let it be done in the workplaces they go to. Let it be done wherever they might find themselves. Let them see Jesus. And God, I pray that they would carry it with them, that their feet, even as they move, Lord, they would be unmoved people because you are not moved. You are not fearful. You are not afraid. God, I pray every day is a prayer to God in the way in which I live, the way I look upon Jesus, and I look up and count the stars, and I see what is possible. So even in my tent, even in my tent, my faith is settled in Christ Jesus. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name we